It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. Blackballed is dropping soon on The Ringer NFL feed. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we have a jammed pack Super Sweet 16 preview. Yes, that is exactly what we're going to call it. We're going to go through everything that's happening in the Sweet 16, and we're going to first do that with a man who is calling these games. He is going to be the voice of the NCAA tournament moving forward in 2024. He is the great Ian Eagle. We had Ian come on and tell some great stories from the first weekend in Greensboro and just kind of how he got to this position in broadcasting. He's a great guest. Great time. Appreciate him coming on. We're also going to have Cousin Sal hop on the show and do a Sweet 16 gambling guide. We're going to go through each region, give you the odds, give you the best bets. Maybe don't take my picks at this point, but you know, we'll see what happens with that. And finally, we're going to have the Princeton head coach. That's right. The Princeton head coach, Mitch Henderson, who was a fan of the Bill Simmons podcast after Bill Simmons decided to fade my Arizona pick. He's locked in. He came on the show. Let us know how everything's going for the Tigers, how they're reacting to their first Sweet 16 since 1967. Like I said, this is a jam-packed show. We got a lot to get to, a lot of basketball to talk, a lot of uh, great personalities and characters on the show. I'm fired up about that. Kyle, is there anything we need to hit before we get into it? It's just been great to do this show from home. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get to use my own bathroom. You, you never really understand what it's like when you spend a whole day in some place. And yeah, you know, uh, so it's been really a joy to do this from home. And uh, I'll be seeing you in uh, tomorrow uh, at the at the old office. But this has been great. Uh, I really I really enjoy it. So uh, yeah. and you guys are going to enjoy this. But first, Woody Durham. All right, joining us now on One Shining Podcast is CBS broadcast extraordinaire. You've heard his voice all throughout March Madness. He is the great Ian Eagle. Ian, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast. Yeah, great to be with you, Tate. It's the, the day after the madness, which uh, I always find interesting as you're trying to sort through the information that you just had over the weekend, and then you start to parse through 
the information you're going to need for the upcoming weekend. So we're in that in-between stage where wires are getting crossed a little <laughs> bit, but the excitement continues to build. Yeah, I had to ask you about that because, you know, I'm amazed by one. I'm amazed by play by play uh, broadcasters in general, all the information, all the stories, right, all the decisions that are made within <laughs> a broadcast. You know, it's a it's a lot of, uh, you know, on the fly, right, is probably the yeah. best way to put it. But like you said, there's a lot of uh, cramming for the test, dumping that information, cramming for another test. How hard is that during March Madness for you? Because we obviously know teams are scouting for just one day, but so are you. Yeah, it's just the sheer volume of it. And you're being parachuted in for specific teams that you knew nothing about prior. Maybe you saw them on a random Wednesday night during the season, but you didn't think that's a team I might get come NCAA tournament time. So when Selection Sunday happens, any of the broadcasters are watching along with the fans and then starting to think, ooh, that site might be good because I've seen three of those teams or I've had two of those teams or I had two other teams last year in the NCAA tournament. And ultimately you get the phone call usually, you know, around seven thirty, eight o'clock that night of you're going to fill in the blank. And then that's when the fire drill really <laughs> begins. And for me, I've, I've figured out a routine that works. I don't know if this is how everybody else does it. I just know having done this event now over 26 years, I've certainly sorted through the regimen that I need to do in order to feel prepared. And it just starts with a skeleton of each team. And that's what I begin with. I don't just laser focus on one team and then deal with the next seven. I go very fundamental, very perfunctory on all eight teams. That's a first pass. And then I start digging into the matchups and you really have to view them as matchups. If you look at them mm. as eight separate entities, you're screwed. You've got <laughs> to see them for what they are, which are first round matchups in the NCAA tournament. And then you start to flesh it out. You start to get into biographical information. You start to get into history. And then somehow a couple of days in, you, you feel as if you've got enough to, to get in there and, and get your hands dirty and, and do the games. And this year you got a phone call for your site and your site was going to be Greensboro. And yep. uh, you're a Syracuse guy, so you know about Greensboro. You know about Jim <laughs> Beheim. You under you understand what the what the history is with Greensboro, right? I do. Um, I do. But you know, it wasn't just the matchups, right? This year, or just the teams that were down in Greensboro. There was a lot of wacky, dare I say, wonky things that happened in Greensboro, especially pregame, right? We had the rim situation where there was a, a leveling, right? There was an ass from <laughs> yeah. Iowa State. Uh, Kentucky had their problems. So, a, as a play by play guy, how much do you balance, right? You have your plan, right? Everybody has a plan going in, but then you get punched in the mouth with all this wacky <laughs> stuff going on. So how do you deal with that? And how do you talk about that? I actually embrace the wackiness. <laughs> I, I like I like when it's not normal and everything is according to script. I actually find those to be the more interesting situations to describe. And if it's a little different, unique and esoteric, sometimes it's memorable. We had a, a sitter in the first round. Right. I, I'd never experienced that in the NCAA tournament with a ball on a free throw, just rolled, rolled and <laughs> sat on the rim and didn't move. I, it happened in a game that I did playoff game, NBA, Miami and Charlotte, Dwayne Wade had a sitter, not on a free throw, but on a shot attempt. And that's the only other time that I can remember in my 29 years of doing high level basketball where that happened 
in a game. So those situations I find to be actually enjoyable and fun and a little bit offbeat and unscripted. And you're right. Uh, you, you have to fly by the seat of your pants a bit. <laughs> uh, I think back, my third year doing the tournament was 2000. I was in Buffalo and Seton Hall went on a run that year. Shaheen Holloway helped pull out a victory in the first round. And now they're in the second round and they have a chance to advance on and beat Temple, if I remember correctly, with Pepe Sanchez. Holloway goes down with an injury, couldn't play in round two. His backup was a guy by the name of Ty Shine. Mm. And Shine starts going off in this game. And I'm thinking in the last minute of the game, if Ty Shine plays a big role in an upset win, I'm going to have to figure out a way to say one shining moment. It, it just <laughs> fits. And the moment came, and for whatever reason, I did not pull the trigger. And I think the reality was at that point in my career, and my life, I was young. I had just turned 30, and I was still young in, in the broadcasting circles of, of the national stage. I thought, oh, I might get criticized or might be people that jump on this. They'll say it's corny. They'll say uh, it, it was, uh, you know, too, uh, too pre-prepared. And I didn't go with it. And I just remember walking away from that event thinking, you know what? No more. Mm. Go with your instincts. If something fits, if something works, go with it. Trust yourself in those moments. So it's 23 years now. It still bugs me in some way, but I did learn from it. And I think in this tournament, based on the frenzy that you get with some of these matchups and some of these results, you got to be ready to, to handle the unexpected. And, you know, I was going to ask you before you even got into that, what your favorite call of the weekend was. And I had two that I marked just because they stuck with me. And I think they kind of represent what you were saying. And it shows how much, you know, you have leaned into what you said, go with your gut a little bit. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the the main one that everyone reacted to was uh, boom goes the dynamite, right? Sule, boom. <laughs> how, yeah. did, you, did you have that one in your mind or did that come to you right then? And you said, I had to say this. I, I did not have that in my mind. Good. But I do remember, as I was saying, boom boom, over and over again, that phrase, because it was such a, a viral moment, uh, kept popping up in my brain. And I thought to myself, okay, you can't, you can't go there on a regular jump shot. You can't go there on a three-pointer or just uh, an average layup. If this guy does something in the moment and does it in spectacular fashion, feel it. If it's mm. there, Go with it. If it's not, don't worry about it. That's the other part about maturing in this business and maybe understanding your job a bit more. If something is left on the table and not used, that's okay. Even in your prep, uh, I believe early in my career, probably first three or four years, it's only natural. NBA, college basketball, NFL, you want to show the viewer or the listener, how much you know. Right. We all kind of have an imposter yeah. syndrome that's built in that everyone's trying to fight. Right. Exactly. Completely. And you feel the need to validate all the work that you've put in. There's a lot of time to prepare for these games. So you want to feel as if it was put to good use. Probably four years in, five years in, I realized sometimes the audience doesn't need to know and they mm. don't know what they don't know. And it's okay if there's a bunch of 
statistics, nuggets, personal notes that are on your board that never make air. And the same holds true for a line or a phrase or wordplay. So for that one in particular, if I never said it, life would have gone on. It would have been okay, but it seemed to fit the moment and I just decided to go for it. And uh, everybody loved it online. You know, there's a lot of times when it comes to, you know, the current media scene where you, you almost have to ignore the internet reaction to things. But immediately people were going, you know, this is why we love Ian Eagle. This is why he's our guy. Um, th there was another one that I loved. And this probably goes back, like you said, you have to have a little bit of fun. But Adam Kunkel was also uh, a guy who was, you know, doing great for Xavier in the tournament and had some moments, had some big threes. But you said, uh, I think it was on the break at one time, you said Kunkel for the Dunkel. Um, um, and I thought that was one of those moments where, yes, there's the serious call at the end of the game sure. that, you know, every play-by-play -play broadcaster wants that call to be one that they that gets remembered. But in yes. between, I think there's a lot of fun opportunities. And I thought, you know, you know, Kunkel for the Dunkel was an example mm -hmm. of what I enjoy, you know, the fun and wacky stuff in the middle of a game. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tate. I, I think when you say one name over and over and over again on play-by-play, -play, at some point, you know, your brain does go places. And <laughs> exactly. Look, it's not a normal name. Like, I I, I didn't go to high school with uh, Ricky Kunkel. I, I don't <laughs> know any other Kunkels other than the dude that played at Belmont that now is a standout with Xavier. And again, in the moment, it just seemed to fit. It was actually on a pass that led to the dunk. It was an alley-oop, and he made the right play. And I wasn't convinced he was ever going to dunk it in the game. So to me, that was probably the only only opportunity to get uh, that word play in. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I truly don't do it for any other reason than I find it entertaining in the moment. And if others do, there are a bunch that sometimes just go right over people's heads. And <laughs> that, to me, is cool, too. There might be a, a person that, that jumps on it or not, you know, Keontae Johnson is a tremendous player. Some people enjoy a nice glass of Keontae. And at some point <laughs> I said Keontae was pouring it in from the outside or they were getting the full bottle of Keontae. Again, it's a throwaway line in the middle of the game. You're right. At the 1357 mark, this is not going to hurt anybody. And levity, I think, is, is uh, not just needed, but appreciated when you have four games in a day and a marathon of hoops. And you got the fans at home, right? They hear Hannibal Lecter reference. They're like, he's just like us. We're, we're all yeah. kind of in this together. It kind of creates this community. Correct. That's that's the best part of it. Yeah, and, you know, I, Right, exactly. And I wanted to ask you because, you know, you've called NFL games, NBA games. You've done a radio show with Phil Jackson, right? You've had all <laughs> these moments, uh, you know, in the media space at different levels. And, uh, you know, my favorite call of yours of recent memory is the jawbreaker, right? A lot of people were, you know, th that, that was just one that was like, you know, like you said, right on the nose, but somehow in that moment just felt perfect. But what's so different from March Madness versus the NFL and the NBA? How, how special is that? And how different is, you know, calling these games versus those? Yeah, I'd say the difference with March Madness that I found and the first tournament I did was 1998. And it took a little bit adjusting to it. I did it in college in 1990 for Syracuse. They lost in the Sweet 16 to Minnesota. They got upset in New Orleans, a really good Minnesota team with 
Willie Burton and Kevin Lynch and Melvin Newburn and Walter Bond. Syracuse was stacked. They really had no right to lose that game, but they did. And then uh, Georgia Tech had beat Michigan State on on the other matchups. So Georgia Tech, Minnesota ended up uh, playing with Georgia Tech advancing to the Final Four. Bobby so, Crimmins, right? That was Bobby Crimmins? Yeah. So I had a, a taste of it in college, which was awesome. But when you show up for your first tournament, which for me was 1998 in Sacramento, and the teams I had were Maryland and Illinois and Illinois State and Arizona and Nichols State and Utah State, and you don't know what you're walking into. And this is really pre-internet where everything was available online. So basically you were getting media guides sent to you. I was getting on the plane with eight different media guides as part of my carry on. I flew cross country. You can't get to Sacramento direct from the East coast, at least where I am in New Jersey. So you're connecting, you're now, I've had like a separate bag for these (laughs) media guides to just jot down as much information as I could get. And I remember vividly, The biggest concern I had, the first team that I worked on, Tate, was Maryland that year. And they had a player by the name of Sharunas Yesakavichus. And I was very concerned that I would not be able to say his name smoothly over and over again. And I must have worked on it for 15 minutes just to make sure. And I, I finally broke it down in this way that if Marv Albert was doing the game, he would say it in this manner. Yes, a cabbages. And somehow that resonated with me. Once I got that in my head, get the yes out and then fill in the blanks with a cabbages. And that was what was keeping me up at night, you know, <laughs> to think uh, now all these years later uh, that there are much larger concerns when you're calling this tournament, which is make sure you can identify the players that you know the storylines that you're on it in the moment. So really, what separates it is that the names change every single year, and yet we're fascinated by the matchups, by the Cinderella, and the intensity level. This is the highest level of basketball that the majority of the participants will ever be a part of. And you feel that, you feel Mm. that, you feel how much it means to them. You feel the highs, you feel the lows and the concentrated passion is what is coursing through every site that you work, no matter what round it is, no matter who is participating. And I think that's what keeps people coming back to this event. The the fact that they don't know what's going to happen. It isn't predictable. And the only thing that we can guarantee is that there will be a team that you knew nothing about that will emerge in that first weekend and capture people's imagination. And it happens every year. Yeah. And we had, you know, FDU this year, a team, you know, in New Jersey, where you are right now, Princeton, another team in New Jersey. We had St. Peter's last year with Shaheen Holloway. Funny enough, you told the story about when he was actually playing at Seton Hall. Now he's coaching at Seton Hall. That's the other beautiful part of college basketball, especially if you're around it long enough. There's all this connective tissue between guys where, you know, I I talked to Pete Gillen uh, last fall. And he was telling me a story about him and Coach Patino being at Hawaii together, right? They were all yep. staff as assistants at Hawaii. 
and you, know, you just you start finding all these connective tissues, all these storylines. And and like you said, when you're in a broadcast, you're just trying to shepherd along that story. And, and no matter how many sponsors and how much the the NI, how much things change. Right. Yep. It's weird how every time we get to March, it, it is kind of the same aesthetic for 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 no matter what goes into it, we seemingly get a similar storyline and we seemingly get similar heroes every single time around. And that's a beautiful story. And uh, I'm sure that means a lot to be able to call it for 23 years, as long as you have. It's not perfect. We, we recognize that throughout the season, but there is something that's about as close to perfect as an event. When you get into that final minute of one of these tournament games, there's something that galvanizes people and watching it being there courtside being back at my hotel watching the other games when i'm done with my games not going to bed until 2 a.m because you're watching games on the west coast you're still thinking about your games you're tossing and turning about the next set of matchups for me every year the anticipation of that phone call or the email where you're going next what teams are you going to get what storylines Will there be the coaches? I mean, just thinking about it from that perspective, you go from 1998 to 2023 and the different personalities that I've talked to and dealt with and and uh, gotten information from and bonded with sometimes on a human level. Uh, it's it's cool. And it's a collection of memories, stories and it's ongoing. You know, I'm fortunate that I'm going to continue doing this event. I enjoy it. I take it really seriously. And I recognize that it means so much to the players, to the coaches, to alumni, to fans. Uh, they're going to look back on this event for many of them and show their kids or show their grandkids. I want to make sure that I, I did right by them, that I did them justice. Yeah. And in October, you mentioned it in, in October 2022, it was announced officially you would be taking over as the lead broadcaster for the NCAA tournament following in the footsteps of Jim Nance. I wanted to get your thoughts, um, just, you know, how that came about. How did you find out, um, you know, your first you know reaction to that news and uh, how excited you are to take that role and step into that role um, next year in 2024? Beyond excited, Tate, and, and also uh, beyond honored because mm. I recognize the responsibility that comes with it. Jim has done it for 30 plus years. That is unprecedented. It will be unmatched. It is unparalleled. He has been associated with this event for so long, and it's been such a huge part of his life. So uh, the way that I viewed it, I'm succeeding him in, in this position. And I think that's ultimately what CBS and Turner viewed it as, a succession plan for what they were going to do in the future. It had been talked about for the last few years. It didn't come out of left field. It wasn't just one phone call that all of a sudden uh, I knew about this role. Uh, it had been something that was discussed, and I think they wanted to handle it the right way, which uh, I completely understood and, and recognized that it should be. So uh, the focus has been on Jim this year and his final tournament and his last dance. And then next year we'll we'll start a new chapter. It it'll it'll be different, yes, but it'll be the same in many ways because I've been doing this tournament for so long. And the reality for me, Tate, uh, certainly not minimizing it, but it's an extra weekend of my life 
It's mm. three more basketball games. I've literally called thousands <laughs> of games in my career between college basketball and NBA. So the way that I'm going to attack it is do the game the way that I always do the game. Bring energy, bring excitement, bring information, bring entertainment value, uh, bond with your teammates, Bill Raftery, Grant Hill, Tracy Wolfson, make everybody around me comfortable and then get out of the way. If you've got a great game, that's going to tell the story. You're just there to to help bring it along and complement and enhance when needed. Well, you do all that. And when they got announced, I mean, it, it really just felt right. It was like, of course, you know, that was kind of the reaction for everybody. I so I wanted to congratulate you. Uh, I'm very excited to see what it looks like. I know it'll be great. Uh, I did have to ask, you know, as a journalist, a lot of people are wondering, Jim Nance famously likes to give out his tie to the most outstanding player. <laughs> There's been questions. Uh, will you follow in the footsteps or will you do something? I know Jay Billis gives out his shoes at college game day. Is there, <laughs> is there something that uh, Ian Eagle has on tap? Uh, maybe you give them your glasses or something what, what what's the yes. uh, move for you yeah no I, I i respect you as a journalist <laughs> i take it this was a question that needed to be asked yes I'll, i will give up my glasses and then i won't be able to see that's the problem <laughs> i i actually need these this is not just for <laughs> not, an act. not an act not an act i will say when i started because i was so young on television i was basically told by my boss at the time like look you look like you're 18 you may want to wear the glasses. I've seen you wear glasses. Why don't you go with those full time? So I did, and uh, I've just stuck it out. I have never done television without glasses on. So maybe that's the calling card for 2024. There you go. That's the stat of the day right there for all the trivia people uh, <laughs> out there. And, you know, they say this in the NBA every time they have the NBA draft, right? We get the the cutaway and they get done with the lottery picks. And of course, all the analysts say it looks like the league is in good hands. I wanted to say from a broadcasting standpoint, it looks like the tournament, the league is in good hands with Ian Eagle. So uh, we appreciate that. Um, last thing from me, but before I let you get out of here and go prep, um, you're originally, you're born in Queens, New York, right? That's correct. Yes. That's what, that's what the internet is telling uh, me. I well, no, I was actually born in Miami. So the internet has gotten that one wrong. My parents well, were entertainers. Right. My father was a stand-up comedian. My mother was a singer. And my dad was doing a show in Florida. And I was born in between two shows. And then wow. were, stayed there for about six days until they felt it was okay to fly back to Queens. But yes, grew up in Queens, New York. Born in Miami, Florida, believe it or not. It's a very like Michael Jordan story where he was born in Brooklyn, but he was, you know, obviously raised in Wilmington, <laughs> exactly. North Carolina, right? There's a, there's some technicalities. And of course, the Internet gets yeah. it wrong again. We know how that goes. But speaking of Queens, New York, there was big news in college basketball. Rick Pitino is going to Queens, going to coach St. John's. As soon as yeah. I saw the Queens connection, I thought I need to ask Ian his thoughts on this. As someone that's just a fan of college basketball, I'm excited to see what Rick will do. I'm glad he can wear the red suit again, the white suit again coaching MSG. How fun is that for New York basketball? Because New York basketball has a lot of pride and Rick Pitino is someone that I feel like will lean into that pride. Yeah, no doubt. I grew up at a time where the Big East was starting to not just form, but get into the forefront of college basketball. And probably part of the reason why I went to Syracuse, in addition to the broadcasting part, which was the main reason, but watching Pearl Washington on CBS and envisioning going to the Dome with 30,000 plus people for a basketball game. This this blew my mind. So St. John's was in my backyard. I grew up 10 minutes away from St. John's. Who do they have? Chris Mullen, 
and Willie Glass and Walter Berry and Bill Wennington and Marco Baldi and Sheldon Jones and Mark Jackson, my guy, my former broadcast partner, can go on and on and on and on. This was a proud program and one that has had some some high moments since then, but no level of sustained success. With Rick Pitino, you now have credibility and you've got a guy that can flat out coach. And yeah. let's just take an example from, from one of the games and uh, matchups in my site, Greensboro. Sean Miller goes back to Xavier. It changed everything. There was a, a level of accountability, and that's not a knock on who was there prior. It's just the reality of the situation. Yes, there were some new faces in there, but for the most part, it was the team that they had. But Sean Miller took them to another level because of his knowledge, because of his skill as a basketball coach, because of his vision. And Rick Pitino, obviously, we're talking about a Hall of Famer who has done it everywhere he's gone. He's won everywhere. So there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to do the same thing at St. John's. At what level? I don't know yet. But Mm. are they going to be a problem again in the Big East? You bet you are ass they're going to be a problem. (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, the Big East, three teams in the Sweet 16. So they're celebrating right now. They got some good basketball. They got Ed Cooley now going to Georgetown, another program that's going to get a kickstart. So a lot of good storylines in the Big East. As an ACC guy myself, I'm excited for all that's ahead in the Big East. And I'm also excited for all that's ahead in March Madness. There you have it. He's Ian Eagle. He is one of the best. I love hearing him on the broadcast. Ian, good luck moving forward in the tournament. We appreciate you coming on One Shining Podcast. Thanks again, man. Love the man. We'll talk down the road and enjoy the rest of the madness. It's going to be a blast. I, I just see more surprises around the corner. I, I don't think that, that we're done with the drama. Not even close. <laughs> yeah. Watch out for Princeton, everybody. <laughs> hey, I just happen to be going to Louisville. So if it goes <laughs> in that direction, I might just be the, the right person in the right spot. Well, there you have it. Thanks again, Ian. All right. You got it. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right, joining us now, he is my old boss, uh, my old host <laughs> that I used to have as a producer back in the day on Against All Odds. He is, of course, cousin Sal. Sal, great to have you on again. On well, great to have you on One Shining Podcast. What is this called? What are you going to yeah, call it? I, I don't know. How many times do I change the name? I, I don't know. I, I it feels weird to even be able to say One Shining Podcast. I feel like a cease and desist is going to come after me right after I say it. But yeah, it's great yes. to have you on the show. Thanks for thanks for having me. Of course, this is, I don't know what I could help with the college basketball. <laughs> Although after your record, I could see 
you know, maybe you do want to change the name of the podcast so people can't, <laughs> chase, you know, follow you and chase you down. And you're more elusive that way. I think I need to go on the lamb at this point. And uh, I think that's why I had to bring you on. You know, I have an account. Of, uh, my favorite ability is accountability. And I think I have to be accountable because, you know, it, it happens every March. You know, March Madness comes. People ask me to come on their shows and give my mm -hmm. expert advice. And I put that, you know, in quotations because nobody knows what's going to happen. But I really have to tap my chest and say my bad because I came on against all odds. I think I was uh, maybe I drank a lot of coffee that day, but I seem to be very confident. I, I seem to think mm -hmm. I had figured it out like I, I had had the formula for how March was going to play out. I looked everyone in the eyes. I said, Arizona, that's who it is. If you think anything else, you're an idiot. And uh, of course, Princeton, uh, the smart guys get it done in the first round. So I just got to say, I'm sorry before we get into anything else moving forward. I'm sorry about well, that pick. Luckily, you're in a business where accountability is is for not. It, it's on the back burner. <laughs> Look I at mean, Rick Pitino. Really. He's the head coach of St. John's right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You just <laughs> fell upward, Tate. And that's basically what happened with you. You know, I don't know how much you want this out and nephew Kyle can cut this if, uh, if he so chooses, but you know, basically Fandle came to Simmons and says, listen, we're not making enough money. And Simmons is like, <laughs> I got an idea. We'll bring Tate Frazier in. He's the cooler. He'll give all these bad picks, Illinois, right. UNC, Don't let him Arizona. Him. Yes. <laughs> Go with Tate. And now they made all their money back. So good job by you. You, you, you paid off right away. Yeah, and FanDuel, honestly, appreciate you guys for bringing me in, and uh, <laughs> I, I can do that all day, every day. That's what we do here on this show. Um, I do want to ask you, because it does feel like gambling is now popular culture, and I remember when I started with Bill, you know, I mean, I went to college, you know, some of my buddies were bookies, but, you know, we mm -hmm. would know the money line, and we would know the spread, right? That was about as much of the nuance you would go into. I got started working with BS, and BS is like, I got guest lines, I need you to put, you know, this whole doc <laughs> together, put all those spreads, put this, put that. I'm like, what is this guy speaking a different language? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and now I feel like everybody in sports talks that language, apparently. And that that's kind of like the thing now. It's almost mainstream. You're someone that I, I I view as a purist of it all. So how, how are you managing the world that is sports media now, which is gambling is prevalent and it's pervasive and it's everywhere. And what does that mean for you as, as you see all these people? Do you want to yell, look at all these frauds around me? When did these guys start gambling? Or are you just taking it on the chin and you're happy that people get what you're talking about now. Well, I'd like to take the high road, but yeah, no, it's mostly me saying, look at all these frauds around me. Where did they come from? I don't right. know. Uh, but no, look, I, I do love it. I love it because it was taboo. I mean, you can only compare it to, I mean, not only compare it to, compare it to the, the marijuana thing, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, it was legalized in California and Colorado and many, many states after that. And now like where it was taboo to talk about now, people come on my cousin Jimmy Kimmel show all the time and talk about their growing it in their backyard or vaping or whatever else, you know? And so it's, it's nice. Like, this is what we do. This is why people are tuning into the games because of fantasy football and fantasy basketball and betting on these games. And don't tell me that shot by TCU with point seven left where he dribbled the ball up the court. It could have still been rolling if as far as uh, Gonzaga cared. Gonzaga laying four and a half and they're up uh, seven, and then the kid hits a three, just picks it, gathers, 
shoots it. And that was the biggest moment of those like six hours. What was that Sunday? So yes, yeah. it's uh, it's in the back of everyone's mind. It's on Twitter. It's all over the place. And I love every second of it. Yeah. You saw people when he hit that shot in the crowd, like hands were going up in yeah. the air. Right. And you're like, that, that would never have happened in say 2011. Right. I just feel like right. the, the education of the audience is so much higher. And obviously it's because we got the fan duels of the world that are right there and letting us know what's going on. I do want to ask before we get into, cause I want to do the best bets of the sweet 16. Is there mm-hmm. a golden rule? I mean, I did against all odds for three years and, you know, I heard a lot of bets and obviously you and Bill with guest alliance, but is there something that you have that you say is like kind of the golden rule of betting? Because my mom would say the golden rule of life is to be nice, but I I wanted to see if there was a golden rule of betting out there. It's the same. Just be nice. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna bet on UCLA, apologize to Gonzaga, and you know because there are feelings involved. True, Timmy's mom, Megan Timmy, she's at, she's got feelings. Uh, no, you know I don't know if this counts as responsible gambling, but people say you know bet within yourself. You know don't go past your limits. I said to hell with that. Life is short. Uh, go out there and have fun. You'll get it back some other way. No, mm. um, you know what? I I, I don't know. I, I just I, I like having fun. Like, don't don't. I'll tell you what. One of my favorite bets is betting that there would be no buzzer beaters in the first or second round. So that's Thursday through Sunday. Sorry, Thursday and Friday in the first round, the first two days, no buzzer beaters. And I bet this Tate all the time. I'm a don't pass type guy because I like. You know, you ever wear a jacket after a year and find twenty dollars in there and like, oh wow, this makes me happy. I forgot how this gets there. But I bet it again. And for the fourth year in a row, there were no buzzer beaters Thursday and Friday. So try to zigzag. You know, you don't have to pick the game straight up, but find some of these prop bets that we're gonna talk about and lean on those because uh that's where you can those are where the softer lines are, right? Mm-hmm. As we talk about regions and everything, it's down to the dollar where they kind of have you, you know. It's not you're not gonna make a lot of uh, get a lot of value bets out of some of these regionals. We'll go over them no- nonetheless. But I do like player props. I like some fun bets. Like, will there be any buzzer beaters? And they haven't in four years in a row. I know people say I'm a Scrooge, but I like betting no buzzer beaters. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and I like the rule there. I think the rule is to have fun, right? That's a great golden rule with betting. Just have fun and uh, try to find the places where the you know the house doesn't know so much about, right? Where there's nuance there, where you may have watched this team more than you know the sharps may have. So maybe that's right. that's where you can find the money, find the value. All right, so let's go through each region. And uh, like I said, I want to pick your brain. I want to figure out what you think the best bets are. And uh, we got the odds from our friends at FanDuel. And I think the most fascinating region to me starts with the East region because it's kind of up in the air. And if you know anything about, you know, Madison Square Garden, the last two regionals that have been played at MSG, the seven seed has won the regional. So if you were Mm. betting on history, then you would say to yourself, okay, I'm looking at the East region and the seven seed is Tom Izzo and Michigan State. And I've seen them go to the final four as a seven seed. So maybe in your mind, you start playing that. And we'll we'll look at the odds right now. The favorite in the East is Tennessee at plus 120. You got Michigan State, the seven seed, the Spartans at plus 270. You got Kansas State, Jerome Tang, the Wildcats at plus 320. And you got Florida Atlantic with Dusty May and the Owls at plus 470. So right now, Tennessee, the favorite in the East. Who is the favorite in your mind, Cousin Sal, as you look at the East Regional? Well, it's weird because so let's start with that Kansas State-Michigan State matchup, right? So I feel like they overcorrected with the Tom Izzo influence. Maybe they shouldn't be a 17. I'm going to give you a little props here because you went on Damashek's podcast minus three and you said fade the Big Ten. And I think they have one representative out of 10 teams. So good job there, right? Yeah. You got to count yeah. the victories, right? Yeah, I'll pat yeah. myself on the back. There you go. There you go. 
But I do think now it's too much. I think Kansas State should be the favorite. When I when I this game first came out and I was like, Kansas State's gonna be a one point favorite. Michigan State is a one and a half, so maybe two point favorite at this point. Um, so I think they've overcorrected. Um Wildcats scored 75 or more in both games. Michigan State has not allowed more than 62. So this is the only matchup I think I'm taking the offense over the defense. I like this Marquez Noel guy. He has 44 points and 23 assists in two games. You love the guard play. And you mentioned Coach Tang. I think he's the guy. Tang, by the way, was a drink of the astronauts in the 70s. I don't know if you know that, but shout out to the Space Force. I'm going Kansas State. What'd you say? The plus 320 for plus the East? Yeah, plus 320 to win the East. And like you said, I mean, if they get past the Spartans, you know, they're one game away. And Tennessee, the the thing with the first round and the first two rounds of games, I feel like a lot of coaches I saw on Twitter, like Chris Mack, for example, the former Louisville Xavier coach, he was talking about the physicality. There's no freedom of movement. And I feel like that benefited Tennessee and that benefited Michigan State. I think when we Mm -hmm. get to Madison Square Garden, it might open up a little bit and you might see that offense of Noel and Keontae Johnson and Jerome. Rome Tang, even in the Kentucky game, they were down early. They couldn't buy a bucket. They couldn't make a three. They kept taking threes. They have right. a little uh, sideline chat with him, and he just looked unbothered. He looked unfazed, and he's like, we're going to get better shots, and they're going to go in, and we, we think we're the better team. So I like the confidence of Kansas State. Like you said, Tom Izzo, the name recognition is there. Um, if they don't let Izzo and Michigan State get away with some of the, the defensive physicality that they got away with before, um, I think that there's a chance Kansas State gets the win. And then they're one game away, and and when you look at Tennessee, Rick Barnes, and you look at Florida Atlantic, Dusty May, first time getting there, I mean, it, it seems to be, you know, it, it breaks in the way of Kansas State. And Jerome Tang has pretty much been the coach of the year all year. So yeah. I like that. I like plus 320 Kansas State. You could get a break, too. Kansas State could match up with uh, Florida Atlantic, right? That wouldn't be a huge upset uh, by any means. So I think plus 320, you're sitting at plus 320 in that regional final game. That's good. And also, Izzo, for all success, He's better against the spread and straight up in between those first two games or in between the third and fourth game, right? So maybe they catch him in a little lull as they've had time to uh, rest here. Yeah, twenty three and seven is the record on one day rest for Tom Izzo in the there tournament. So that's I probably knew I knew yeah, I had the it. stat in front of me. So <laughs> if you want to wait for Sunday to go full in on Izzo, so there you go. Uh, that's the East Regional. I think that's going to be fascinating. Again, Tennessee mm-hmm. is the favorite, which is even more fascinating. There's been a lot of Rick Barnes slander that's going on in the world, myself included. So I just wanted to point out, Rick Barnes, you're the favorite. Um, you you might go to a Final Four. Congratulations on that. All right, let's go to the West. That's the next <laughs> most fascinating one. Uh, we got UCLA plus one eighty five. We got UConn plus 185, so it's a pick between UCLA and UConn. Gonzaga plus 230. Arkansas plus 600. Um, what have you seen from this regional, this group of teams? And I keep going back to Arkansas at plus 600, Sal. I don't know why, but the must bus mm. has gone to three straight Elite Eights uh, or would be looking to go to three straight Elite Eights. And I feel like if he got to his third straight Elite Eight, it would be uh, third time's the charm and he would go to the Final Four. So plus 600, I'm kind of licking my lips a little bit when I see Arkansas there. Pretty great, and you thought that injury would slow him down. But I, I think if Musselman coaches topless, he's got a good shot. But otherwise, <laughs> I think it's coming out of the bottom half of that bracket. This is I'll, I'll stay true to this because I feel like I had this uh, last week, and so I might as well potentially be right about something. UCLA, Gonzaga. By the way, we discussed this on Extra Points today. The Blue Blood schools. Who do you consider the Blue Blood schools? Are there six or are there five? 
I think there's five just because there's a starting five on a basketball court, and I think Ooh. we all know who the five is. I mean, North Carolina is going to be there. Yeah. Kentucky's going to be there. Kansas is going to be there. Duke is going to be there, and UCLA is going to be there. Um, and then I think there is probably, I call them the lowercase blue bloods, right? The mm -hmm. Gonzagas, the Villanovas, the Georgetowns. The ones that are in the conversation, they can float up into that top five. They're kind of just, there's probably a nine-man rotation of Blue Bloods, and there's really a starting five, and I think the starting five is pretty clear. But I don't ever want to disrespect the teams that have been there because Georgetown at right. the time obviously was. Villanova, I would say, the 2010s, they definitely were with Jay Wright. So, right. you know, it's it's. Did you say Duke? Did you not it. include Duke? No, did Duke's you? in there. Duke's oh, in did? there. Okay. They're, they're just uh, barely in there. there. I, think, okay. I think they're the fifth one. So if I had to take I one see. out, I would take Duke out. You know, well, that, that's when Georgetown jumps in. Because I was thinking we take UCLA out. I think it's been quite some time um, okay. since they've won a title. And I feel like Gonzaga could replace them. This is a team since 2000 or 2002 who's made the Sweet 16 like every other year. I think they have like 13 appearances. Eight um, straight Sweet 16s. Yeah, it's like they're just better than UCLA at this point. They beat them, right? right? They barely beat them when they were like a nine or 10 point favorite last year. But I feel like as in soccer, we should relegate one of the Blue Bloods, and it could be UCLA this weekend. Now, all that said, I think it's UCLA that wins this game, right? Uh, 34th in pace versus 253rd in pace is going to be interesting. Uh, you look at this over-under, it's 145.5. Only Texas Xavier is higher, but UCLA has only allowed 70 points to two of their last 10 opponents. I think Hawkes, I mean, you look at there, they're so handsy, Bailey and Tiger Campbell, you know, blocking, clogging up lanes and hands are everywhere. And Hawkins had, I think, five steals and a half. So I'm going UCLA to win this game and to take that region so that I could be right about one single thing in this tournament. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, UCLA is a team. I talked myself out of UCLA because of Jalen Clark going down, but mm -hmm. Mick Cronin, I shouldn't have doubted him. I shouldn't have doubted the depth, especially Amari Bailey's a McDonald's All-American, and he he's kind of gotten better as the year has worn on, and I think he's learned a lot playing behind Jaquez and playing behind Jalen Clark. So he's playing really good basketball, especially defensively. If Gonzaga can speed the game up, if they press and get more possessions and make UCLA play, you know, a little bit quicker than they want to, I think that is the wrinkle that will change the dynamic of this game. But the discipline of Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez and Mick Cronin, it's hard for me to see a world in which they let that happen. But, you know, stranger things have happened. So uh, Gonzaga is fascinating there. I mean, I like what you said. Whoever wins that game, you can you can keep an eye on. It's also interesting that UCLA and UConn are a pick em because both those teams check the Kimpom test where they have top 25 offense and defenses. And a lot of people thought that they both could win the national championship. So the West mm. region will be fascinating. Uh, let's keep going. Let's get on uh, to the well, Midwest. Well, real quick, real quick. Oh, yeah. I wish, you know, we, we, we talk about how gambling's all over the place. I wanted a world where we could bet on Drew Timmy's second foul. And I think mm. it occurs at 1238 in the first half. I think they get him in foul trouble. That's going to be the story of the game. But I don't see that. Your friends at FanDuel, I don't think, have that or or anybody has it. But put well, that up. That's fine. Yeah, we need FanDuel to make that the OSP prop of the day right there. Drew Timmy, right. foul time, second foul. I, I am interested to see what happens uh, with Ben Gregg, who's their backup big. He kind of reminds me of the 2017 <laughs> Gonzaga team. They had Karnowski, right? We remember him. He was sort of the face of that team. But their best player was their backup big, who was Zach Collins, who now plays in the NBA. So oh. I think they have that same kind of thing going on where they have Timmy, but I, I like this Greg guy behind him. So that, that's fascinating there. Let's go to the Midwest. This one is actually uh, the favorite um, is not in plus territory and it's Houston and they're minus 115 
Um, you got Texas plus 190. You got Xavier uh, plus 650. Miami plus 700. This is the Midwest region. Um, Houston, the books still love them. Obviously, everybody wants to see the Jim Nance Houston Cougar storyline, but uh, I, I see them being favored there. That's a little bit shocking to me. I thought Texas might be closer. Um, and I think Miami, after I saw what Miami did to Indiana, they have my t- attention as well. And plus 700 is uh, is really interesting. Who do you like in the Midwest, Sal? Wow. Well, you mentioned everyone except who I'm going with. And I don't blame <laughs> you because I didn't love Xavier getting into this either. I was like, Marquette's the team in the Big East, if anybody. And then Xavier, but they just keep, they're not letting anyone in these games. They're 10th in the nation. Again, defensive team, 19th, I think, enforcing turnovers. And they really gave Pitt, a sh- they gave him no shot. They really did. These are mm-hmm. 43-year-old men on Pitt, right? <laughs> I mean, they should have been banging away. And, yeah, they're uh, older Xavier, than the OKC Thunder starting five. It's like the average age is, is like true. 24. Yeah, yes, exactly. That, that sounds like a joke too, but that's actually <laughs> true. I'm going plus 650, and I know they probably draw Houston, but maybe not. Like you said, Miami is on fire. Very, very tough to stop. If you have Xavier or Miami and you got your plus 650 working for you, I think you're in good shape. Yeah, and I obviously understand that's why Miami's at plus 700 because they're going up against Houston in the Sweet 16. That's how odds are going to work there, but... I, I think that the backcourt, I like the coaching of Larinaga. I'm still worried that Houston hasn't really gotten hit in the mouth yet and had to respond. Mm-hmm. I know that they were down by 10 to Auburn, but Auburn's one of those teams that that's what they do. They can kind of waver in the second half. So uh, I'm fascinated by that region, that matchup. All right, final region, South region. This is the favorite in the tournament right now. Kind of, I, I keep calling it the elephant in the room. This team, Alabama, um, we all know them. Um, they are minus 145 to win the South. You got Creighton at plus 175. You got San Diego State, the Aztecs at plus 650. And Fanduel doesn't even have odds for right. the coach who just came on this program not too long ago, Mitch Henderson. So uh, Princeton, no odds for them to even win this. I don't know if that means infinity. I don't know if that means that you get to own <laughs> Fanduel if you bet on Princeton. But uh, for whatever reason, I got no odds there. Uh, is Alabama a sure thing, Sal? Is it, is it worth almost just betting Alabama because it's such a sure thing? I try to make a case for like, well, first of all, Harry has Creighton, so I have to root very, very hard against him. I mean, if they don't lose Good. the next next round, he's just going to be even more insufferable than ever. I don't love San Diego State. Princeton it is, is, is kind of a joke if you think they're going to win that region, although they've been fun. So I think Bama at 135, and I have Bama actually to win it all at this point, but I would say this. If you want to look at most outstanding player, I don't know if you've seen those odds. So it's Brandon Miller and it's Marcus Sasser at one and two. Miller plus 370. I could see them not giving him this award if Alabama won. I think the best bet on the board value-wise is Javon Quinterly, 34 to 1. 34 to 1. He has 35 points in two games. He had 22 in the SEC championship. I know they don't go back that far. This award is given for the final four, right? we, We always screw this up, but it's for the final. It's the two games in the final four. Quinterly at 34 to 1. I think by the time they get there, it'll be about 14, 15 to 1. So take that. There's going to be some politics involved in this voting if Alabama wins and Brandon Miller at plus 370 isn't worth it. Yeah, and I think Quinterly, he was the 2021 SEC tournament uh, MVP. So it's not mm-hmm. like he has not been the face of this team and he's been around the block a little bit. He's familiar, former five star guy, transferred from Villanova. He's got the name recognition. And like you said, 
the NCAA is going to try to save face at some level right. if Alabama goes and wins the championship. I think, you know, it would be uh, a very David versus Goliath moment if we get Alabama-Princeton, right, in that elite in the Elite Eight game to Pretty go to the great. Final Four. That would be good drama for TV, and we know that this is an entertainment product, so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I think you're a great call on the Brandon Miller thing for, for Player of the Year. I was looking at that. Jaime Jaquez was one guy that, that I thought, I think he was like plus 1,200. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Timmy... Um, if you if you believe whoever wins a UCLA Gonzaga game can make a run to the title, maybe that's something that you lean in on. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Harry. I wanted to bring up Harry because I, I see him. <laughs> he's out there right now. He's become almost like a coach killer, Sal. He's out in the media. He's going after Matt Painter. He's saying he's a bum. He's a scrub. I mean, look, he lost to a 16 seed. I'm not going to be out here defending him. But what's going on with Harry? What's going on with my guy? Because, you know, I'm always on Harry's side, and I feel like I'm implicated with these comments. I got people tagging me saying, get your boy. What's your guy saying? And uh, I just wanted to check in. What's going on with Harry? It reflects poorly on you. Look, I don't know what's going on. He do- he hates every coach. He doesn't think there was a good coach existed. He thinks it's all players that uh, drive these. And, uh, you know, you know it- it's really nuts with him. But. If you're ever going to hate a coach, college basketball is the place to do it, right? Because it's mm. a one and done uh, in this tournament. And then you could just point to, oh, that coach who lost to a 14 seed, a 15 seed, a 16 seed. He sucks. Prove me wrong. <laughs> they just beat a team that they should have wiped the floor with, you know. But I think it stems back. I, I tried to see it from his uh, crooked eyes. Um, I think it goes <laughs> back to maybe high school, something must have happened with him and and his bocce ball coach or something. Something something weird must have. I don't want to get into it, right? right. I don't want to talk don't out of school You speculate, but that, that, that's, that's what we're coming to. That's what we're narrowing in on, that that's yes, what's happening. Yeah. That's his story right there, and for that reason, he hates all coaches. But uh, yeah, you should have seen him in Vegas, Tate. We did this race to 10. We had a watch party at the Kimmel Comedy Club, and we bet 16 games, all the eight uh, early games on Thursday, the eight early games on Friday, and we bet a team to score 10 points. And if they did, I gave out $10 to everybody in the crowd. There was like 40, 50 people. And we went That's 10 awesome. and six, and we had a bunch of degenerates yelling, raise to 10, raise to And you couldn't <laughs> believe how crazy people were going for $10. It's a great, great bet. Uh, I think FanDuel has it. Just uh, jump on it, and then you could go to dinner. You don't have to watch the whole game is the other part of it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the first to 10. I love that in the NBA. It just makes, you know, it makes the first start of the game actually matter. You know what I mean? There, there's sometimes when you just need stakes to be there, and the first to 10 is always fun. I, of course, am a race to 69 guy myself. Oh, you know, yeah. They're 37-0 and 0 in the tournament so far, Sal. A lot of people were down on the race to 69 after the title game last year. Uh-huh. North Carolina <laughs> won it. Kansas won the game. They didn't want to point out the floor breaking and our Mondo Baycott getting hurt. They don't want to point out all that other stuff, but right. the race to 69 is back. The race to 10 is always good, always fun. So if you're, if you're looking to bet and have some stakes on, on the Sweet 16, I think go do that. He is Cousin Sal. His podcast is Against All Odds, and the network is the Extra Points Network. Sal, is there any place or anything else that we need to promote? Because uh, you're the best in the business. I try to keep up with the uh, Against All Odds guys as much as I can. Uh, Harry is, of course, texting me. Sometimes Ken will even text me. Um, you know, I know he's not he's not actually affiliated. We keep him to the side. But yeah, it's great to hear from everyone, and, and uh, we'll be listening as the rest of the tournament plays out. I love you, buddy. That was plenty enough of a plug. And uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, and uh, give Jim Cunningham a big, big hug for me. Yeah, if we can find him, I'll give him a hug. Right now, he's <laughs> okay. missing in action. In action, And uh, luckily, I got Kyle on the boards actually doing some work for me. So we're doing better. <laughs> right. Good job by you. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. 
Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, joining us now is one of the stars of the 2023 tournament. He is the third winningest coach in Princeton basketball history, and he is a man known for the leap. He is coach Mitch Henderson. Mitch, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast. Now, this is a, a real pleasure to be here. Well, I'm going to start here because uh, this is uh, something that's still sticking in my mind. Before the tournament, my boss, Bill Simmons, a, a guy who's more of an NBA basketball guy than a college basketball guy, right? I went to him, coach, and I said, who should I be looking at in the tournament? You know, I mentioned to him, I picked Arizona to win the title. And he said, I don't know. I like Princeton. And uh, I didn't know how much he had seen of the Princeton Tigers, but it turns Come out on. he might be a genius. So there you go. He called it. Come on. I, I got to tell you. So <laughs> I listened to rewatchables every week i listen to the bill simmons podcast every week nice i've been i've been reading that guy since sports guy back in boston <laughs> that is cool i'm glad we got simmons in, and not well you know what now we maybe after this i'll have you on our side here too but hey listen i you know we went into the weekend that, that arizona game we were down the whole game you you saw it i mean we were um we were we didn't lead until a minute and a half left um and then I think from that moment, this group has developed the toughness and a, an understanding of how they can they can get it done. Yeah, we never know when our chance may come. And I felt like that was a quote that kind of resonated when I was watching that game. And, you know, with Cinderella, right, there's kind of a, a you know, a double connotation to it, right? It's it's flattering to be Cinderella, but also there's kind of like a, uh, we're putting you in a box a little bit. And I like how after all of these games, whether it's Mizzou or whether it's Arizona, you say, uh, we're proud to be Cinderella, but the shoe doesn't quite fit for this team. Um, what do you mean by that? And, and what kind of confidence do you see in this group? So it, it's um, it best explained kind of from the, really just explaining our school. So we don't have, we don't have transfers. Um, we're a four-year institution. We took a year off for COVID two years ago. My seniors, I've only had them for three years. Um, I think the right now in college basketball, you have to adapt to a lot of what's going on. And for us, I know this might sound crazy, but like a month and a half ago, we were fighting for our lives just to make the Ivy League tournament. And there's such meaningful games in our league. The league, the the game, the the basketball in the league is great. Right. Um, really, really good coaches. Yale does a lot of Arizona stuff. We saw a lot of what Missouri does from Penn and Cornell. And then you know the the team. We had a really difficult loss, and the team is is quite tight, mostly because again that that COVID year. 
Um, you know, I got a guy on the team that speaks Chinese and a guy that can tell you every flag in the world and guys are writing their thesis and, and they have a way of keeping themselves humble. So they are close. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good. And then, and then we have really good players that people are finding out about now. We've had them for a long time, but um, we, we have, I have sort of set out years ago to, to play a style that would help us advance in a tournament like this. Uh, we out-rebounded Arizona. We out-rebounded Missouri. We scored more points in the paint. Uh, we have we have tried to establish a physical presence in recruiting, and and that's the way we've been playing. And it, I think it gives you a chance on these neutral courts. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, you came back to Princeton. You were at Northwestern for for a long while. Then you come to Princeton in 2011. And one of the things that I, one of the things I really appreciated from a distance about Princeton is you guys would schedule, you know, the, the Power Five teams. You would get in that competition. And one game that always stuck in my mind when I think of Princeton kind of in the modern era was the Notre Dame game in 2017. You guys were this close to, to a big upset. Notre Dame almost won the ACC tournament that year. And, and that game kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And as I was watching the Arizona game, they kept panning to the crowd. And I wanted to ask you about this because it was just a sea of orange. And uh, we all know Princeton, the alumni base. We know how close, you know, all, all the people I know at Princeton, they, they just tell me about how connected it is, right? When you're on campus, whether you play a sport, whether you're a student, whatever it is. But in Sacramento, it looked like the Tigers took over. What was that like? It was it was awesome. And uh, I mean, like the the people were my wife was in the front row and people were like, you know, choke holds and, you know, holding each other back. <laughs> right. Like it was like, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was the, I, and I saw all this in replay. I actually on Thursday night, I was watching the game. I had not seen this or, but it was, um, a couple of friends of mine were saying it was like their, their favorite moment in their life. <laughs> and you're right. Like nobody quite does the four year undergraduate experience like Princeton, you know, we don't have like some of our peers, professional graduate school. So it's really like a dive in on the four-year experience and the university goes out of its way and, and we love this. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we love ourselves so much, but, you know, uh, to make, make you feel welcomed back, we have this thing called Princeton reunion. So you have this every year you come back and you have a good time. So it was like kind of a big reunion and our players drew a lot of strength from that. Um, and you're, you know, those neutral courts state, I mean, it, 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 like all of a sudden your, your fan base isn't noisy and the other one is, and you can make you, you're all of a sudden it's, it's that, um, that factor that becomes something that that's like, that's tangible. Yeah, and I saw uh, Dusty May, the FAU coach, was talking about that, and he was like, you know, usually you're a nine seed, right, and you're supposed to be playing a one seed, and the whole crowd should be theoretically, you know, on your side, but they ended up playing 16 seed FDU, yeah. and he's like, the entire crowd's chanting FDU, feels like you're playing a home game, right, uh, you know, against FDU, and and that's how things can change so quickly in the tournament. I wanted to ask you, because, uh, you know, upsets are expected in the tournament, we've, we've dealt with this, so, you know, we know how it goes, this is what happens, but you were a part of one of the most memorable upsets in the NCAA tournament. You guys knocked off the reigning national champions in 1996 UCLA, of course. You know, as a coach, I talked to Coach Hubert Davis last year about this. There's a fine line of uh, remember when I did this versus what's happening in the present time. How much have you been able to lean on the look, guys, I promise you we can do this. I've done it. And also just trying to keep these guys knowing this is their own moment. You know, how hard is that? It's a good question. And while I was in, we were in Sacramento and coach Kirill, who was my coach on that team was in SAC as an assistant 
on those really good Kings teams in the uh, early 2000s. I got that question all the time. And even when I got hired, they wanted to put that picture right behind me. And mm. I said, you know, you're hiring the coach, not that guy that was jumping up <laughs> in the air. But I, I understand the importance of that photo. That photo is all over our gym here. But I think it's time to take it down. I don't talk about it much because I believe that, that that's talking about me. Um, mm. But I do tell them some specifics about what we talked about going into that game, which was, you know, we prepared very hard to win the game. And we, 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 cha we changed ourselves, which is what we did against Arizona. We played a bit slower. We knew it had to be a possession-based game. Um, and then when, they, when we won, I was, honestly, I was so happy because I don't have to, I, we can take that photo down now and like <laughs> with something, we can turn the page on all this and not, I mean, I, I've, I've lived, you know, Tate, I never, we never went to the Sweet 16. We're talking about a first round win over UCLA. These guys are going to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 1967. And, and that was even, that was even a different era. This, this is unbelievable. Our guys are absolute rock stars in town right now. And uh, they've done something that no one's ever really done in, in program history. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that you're excited about taking down those pictures. I, down. I, yeah, I wondered about that because, you know, now that you got this team that you can kind of sit as the centerpiece. And you mentioned in 1967, yes, they made the Sweet 16, but there's only 23 teams in the tournament. Yeah. Um, and then when Bill Bradley and, and those guys in 65 go to the Final Four, it's kind of a it's just a different time and obviously a yeah. different tournament. So it's cool in modern time to, to see this all play out. I mentioned Bill Bradley, I, I immediately started to think of the Garden State. We saw St. Peter's last year. Obviously, I mentioned FDU. Um, you know, we got the power. I mean, Rutgers had a great year. I thought they should have been in the tournament. Shaheen Holloway um, goes from St. Peter's to Seton Hall. So just being in New Jersey, it seems like New Jersey's almost becoming a little bit of a mecca of college basketball right now. How much fun is that to represent New Jersey? So, so fun. And, you know, we have... Um, four or five guys from the state of New Jersey on the team. Yeah, I love that. We obviously cast a wide net in recruiting Chicago, London, our best players from Newcastle, England, California. Um, but New Jersey really has, um, yesterday we had open media and it was just like, it's so cool. The Inquirer, the New York Post, New York Times, <laughs> Wall Street Journal. We're, we're, we're really like the only school within a couple hundred miles that's still in it. And so you, you this is a, just an amazing media presence out here. That and also people love their hoops. They they mm. just absolutely love basketball. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, I mean, I'm from Indiana. So, I mean, um, and we love our hoops there too, but there's just so many people, so many more people out here. And and uh, it's awesome. We're, we're totally psyched. Mm. Yeah, well, we got, uh, you know, to put it in context for everyone at home, 12 of the 16 remaining teams have never won a national championship and seven of them have never made a final four um, I saw Langborg after the game, you know, he did the classic uh, Kevin Garnett, anything is possible, right? I'm sure my boss, Bill Simmons and the rest of the Boston people love that, um, you know, but truly anything is possible in this tournament. We've already seen that so far as we got to the Sweet 16. How, how much do you kind of keep that contained and how excited are you just with the idea of what's ahead, what's ahead and, and, and uh, what could be in this tournament for you guys? So first real quick, Ryan was at home a lot during covid He's a gigantic Celtics fan, and he's got this big Garnett <laughs> fat head behind him all, on all the Zoom calls. So I'm not surprised. Uh, <laughs> it checks out. You, you guys will like that. And then you know, like that. I I I can only say that. Um, do you you know how how it is? Like um, sometimes you shed a layer, and all of a sudden the 
as a coach, you, you just say to them, like, I think that all they need to do is be themselves and you encourage that. I spent so much of the year trying to challenge and, and poke and prod and change and, and, you know, tinker. And now it's, it's, uh, you know, kind of like, Hey man, I love you. Like, let's go now, mm. be yourself. And, mm. and I, there's a beauty in that Langborg, as you you know mentioned, he didn't get any, any Ivy recognition and we're really dancing at this point. He was unbelievable. I thought on Saturday, just lights out. I thought he was the best player on the floor and, um, I thought he played with great determination. Yeah, me too. And uh, one last thing before I let you get out of here, because I've heard a lot of people talking about this, and it's one of those tropes in basketball, right? People, when they hear Princeton, they immediately go, the Princeton offense, right? And they know Coach Carrill, and they and they they kind of bring up those principles. I wanted to ask you, you know, since we don't have the, the traditional Princeton offense, what principles of the Mitch Henderson offense should we put out to the world so people know, okay, this is what the Princeton off- offense looks like now? I'm glad you asked. So first, you know, if I, if I were to do a clinic, that's what everybody would want and ask me to do. And I don't do them anymore because I'm like, we, I don't, we don't do that. <laughs> um, things have changed since five-star days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure we got a back door on the weekend. <laughs> um, it's not that I don't love those things. I do. And I had um, that team you mentioned, UCLA, that's how we beat them on a backdoor cut. And it's very much in my blood, but Again, I, I mentioned this to you earlier when I started, when I got to fortunate to be the head coach, I, we had gotten destroyed when I was an assistant at Northwestern by Butler and Brad Stevens's teams there. And it was a real awakening for me. And I, I was like, you know, if I ever am fortunate enough to get a job, I want to play like that. Um, and, and to me, it's rebounding physical play. Um, so I, you know, those, those things are out there. That's not necessarily Prince of basketball, but here are the things that you would recognize every pass on the money. That mm. is a cruel thing. Difference between a 15-foot pass and a 25-foot pass, a bounce pass, a pass from the post. Like Jokic passes the way Kirill teaches people to pass. Sort of has the ball here in his hands. I'm holding my hands next to my head here, both hands <laughs> with the ball, and and kind of feathers it with one hand. Um, that's a Kirill. Kirill was obsessed with Bill Russell, and he mm. always say that no one influences the game on the things that matter the most than Russell. And... I talk about that. That's that's the culture of our entire program. What are you doing on every possession to influence winning? And it rarely has something to do with the things that, that people see. It's a cut. It's a hard cut. It's a, it's a great screen. It's a great shift, a deflection, a loose ball. We, we got so many loose balls against Arizona that we shouldn't have gotten. Um, that's Princeton basketball. And that's what our fans like to see and, and what they're used to seeing. And so... Um, um, I, I'm really proud of the way their guys are playing. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, Coach Larry Brown always said said to me, there's no, um, you know, formula, but it's always you can tell when someone plays the right way. And I feel yeah. like when you watch Princeton, you can, you know, you may not be able to point out exactly what it is, but it's it's quote unquote playing the right way, right? And that, yeah, that checks right. the box. I mean, somebody was like, you, you know, are you guys playing smart? And I was like, well, if taking care of the ball and getting good <laughs> shots is smart, then good. That's us. Uh, yeah, we go to Princeton. Of course, we're smart. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> we'll take it. Well, there you have it. He's Coach Mitch Henderson. Uh, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast, and good luck in the Sweet 16. I didn't really want to talk about the preview of the Sweet 16 at all. I just wanted to talk about the success so far and uh, who Princeton is, and uh, appreciate you coming on the show, Coach. Oh, this is a, such a pleasure. I listen all the time and big fan, so uh, thank you. Yep, appreciate it. And uh, again, good luck in the Sweet 16. 
All right, there you have it. Ian Eagle, Cousin Sal, Mitch Henderson. What a show. Um, can't thank those guys enough for coming on and imparting some of their stories, some of their wisdom. Um, it's always great to see Cousin Sal. He's one of the best and uh, someone that every single time that I just need a laugh, you know, it, it, Sal can say anything and it makes me laugh. And uh, especially when we're talking about college basketball and uh, all the ridiculousness that happens in college basketball, especially when it, evol- it involves uh, Harry. I'm going to have Harry come on the show and uh, and give us some best bets at some point, too. I need to hear his side of things. Um, but always good to have those guys. We got a just a singular shout out before we, we get out of here and get ready for the Sweet 16. Let everybody prepare. I got to shout out my guy, Slick Rick Patino. He God. is, yes, Kyle, my God is the exact reaction. Uh, or or my Satan, if you think he's the devil. Uh, whatever you think, he's Lucifer himself. He is literally right now on a billboard in Times Square. So if you're in New York City right now, I know it's not fun to go to Times Square, but maybe today, maybe if you're Jim Cunningham and you're in New York City, I'm sure he he is in spirit if he's not there. He is uh, there, and, I think. He, oh, he is. Great. So, Jim, go walk down to Times Square right now. Take a, take a look. Take a gander. Take a snapshot Rick, slick Rick in the middle of uh, King of Queens man yeah Let's King go. of Queens right eventually uh, he needs to get his own show that's what I would say where, where is uh, where's the content creators where's Amazon at this point he's also got uh, his face on Madison Square Garden there was a conversation at the start of the year I asked the people I said who actually is the king of MSG people you know we all kind of came and decided that it was Jim Calhoun even though he's not the coach at UConn anymore it just felt like Jim Calhoun it was kind of his home right now it's officially Rick Pitino's house. It's Rick Pitino's house. We're about to have a house party. I can't wait to cover Rick Pitino and St. John's. He said he needs about six to eight players. He said there's a lot of guys on the team that won't be back. I'm sure they enjoyed learning that at his press conference. Um, but that's what Rick does. He said he doesn't have time, and it's not because he's going to go somewhere else, folks. That means this is six years for the rest of your life, literally, for Rick Pitino. I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to witness it. I can't wait for you guys to be listening as we break it all down. So that is stuff that is happening uh, in the coaching carousel. That's totally separate of March Madness and the tournament. We know that. But shout out to Rick Pitino. Excited for that whole storyline. I'm also excited for the Sweet 16. I would give you a lot of picks, you know, and give you, you know, my my spreads and my covers. But all that stuff is going to be filtered through FanDuel and, you know, the, the one shining parlay that I'm sure we'll have for Thursday. I'm sure that'll come out. And uh, look. If you don't believe, just fade. That's all you got to do. I like to cover games. Uh, I think we got great matchups this weekend. I'm excited to see Princeton take on Creighton. I didn't even get into that matchup because I wanted the conversation with Mitch Henderson to to have more of a shelf life, be more evergreen. But that's going to be a fun game. Um, a lot of good games. Watch out for Miami-Houston. I think that's going to be a really good game. I think UConn is going to give Arkansas a really good game. That's going to be fun. So, look. Great Sweet 16 ahead. Appreciate everyone tuning in to One Shining Podcast. We will be back doing reaction shows after the game starting on Thursday night. Now we just have four games to watch a day, Kyle, so it's going to be a little bit better. Then once we get to the weekend, it's just two games, and you know how math works. So we're on our way less and less. Uh, we're getting closer to a champion. We're getting closer to uh, figuring out who the best team in college basketball is this year, and that is one of the best times of the year. Appreciate everyone listening. Like I said, this has been One Shining Podcast, and we will see you Thursday night. Sports. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.